Tarry here, where the stories never grow old, and you hear something new every time they are told, and it comes clear. So tarry here, where it doesn't matter your age, and when we gather round the table, we all take the stage year after year. So tarry here. Welcome to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour at EnlightenedRadio.org. I'm Fanny Crawford. And I'm Stasz Zielkowski. Today is January 29th, 2024. Our theme today is hearts. We're jumping the gun a bit. It's not February yet. No. <laughs> but no. even so, how well, are you, Stash? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've had, we've, we've had a good week. Missed you on the radio last week. Oh, well, I had a great week. Um, was at a women's retreat in at Kakapin State Park in West Virginia. Um, it was not a storytelling event, as was reported in some circles, but <laughs> it was a great, it's mostly an eat-a-thon. <laughs> we did a lot of cooking and um, oh, eat-a-thon. eating, <laughs> yes. But I did get to go swimming. They have a new pool at, at the lodge at Kakapin. And um, that was the first time I had been in the water in at least five years, maybe wow. six or seven. And wow. I took, I didn't have time to try on my bathing suit. So I took three or four bathing suits, hoping one would fit and one did. And I actually got to land one to another wow. retreat woman. And uh, did a lot of hiking, walking. They have a new nature center. The nature center has been upgraded there at the park and had a wonderful time. They had a huge collection of wildflower seeds that they the rangers had collected from the um, area around the nature center. So we could see all of those flowers um in their winter phase <laughs> some of them i knew what they are and walked in the door and there was a table full of seeds that they had collected from all of those plants and i brought home oh four or five different kinds of seeds that i don't have planted wow. on my property and i'm really looking forward to spring now when when will you plant them i'll probably i'll try to plant them indoors in another month Oh, oh, and cool. then transplant them. Well, that's neat. Yeah, very that neat. So, a nice lots benefit of, to your trip. Lots of bird watching, a few animals, and oh. mostly the company of women. Hmm. Yeah, I've often enjoyed that. So, <laughs> imagine it was fun. <laughs> I want to thank Andy Offit Irwin for. Um, opening our show with Terry here, his original composition. So do you want to talk about any special events coming up or do you well, want to jump right into story? Well, I, I think we should mention, uh, I think before I forget what I should mention, Speak Story Series, second Tuesday of the month, starting in February. And it's going to be with Gail Ross. Gail Ross. A uh, uh, member of the Cherokee Nation and a direct descendant of John Ross, who was a Cherokee Cherokee leader during the Trail of Tears in American history. Um, and Gail tells wonderful stories from the Cherokee people and some legends and things. And then in March, Peter Cook, who was a deaf storyteller. And I've, I've seen him at Jonesboro, and it's a wonderful storyteller. And in April, Antonio Raja. And I don't think I'm going to go through the rest of the months because nobody will remember it by the time I get to June. So anyway, it's going to be a great lineup. And this year, again, the uh, this is the 12th year of Speak Story series. Um, Adam Booth, uh, the, the director, has 
uh, once again authored a 2024 commission piece. And uh, sometime by the end of this month, I believe the person uh, who has applied to that is an open application and the person will be writing an original story, presenting an original story in November, a commission piece, which they would pay for and they will then perform, perform for speak in November with that new piece. So that's a wonderful thing. It worked very well last year with Diane Macklin, who did a wonderful job. And so Speak is often running for the 12th year. And details at speakstorysteries.com? Yes. And you could get your season tickets and you could donate money if you want. And there's even a job application you could fill out if you want because they're looking for some um, paid position. Very good. Yeah. So. All right. Do you have any news on stories in the round? Well, I have um, two, maybe three of our nine sessions lined up, but the dates are not set in stone yet, so I don't want to share that. Okay. That's Um, good. But yes, we're getting set up for our eighth season. And I hope to have, that's, I'm hoping that I'll have something to announce in the next month. All right. Sounds good. We don't, we don't, we won't start until April, I think, but um, we're working on it. Okay, good. I just thought I'd bring that up so that our listeners could know that there's, stuff going on yes well i do have other story events to talk about but i'll wait till we take a break in the middle of our tellings so are you going to begin today if you say so (laughs) you could go first you know okay my my story i have one story that's pretty long yeah okay well i'll I'll go first and then okay because i have a story that I, I hope this is going to be okay. I, I last last week I did stories from Hans Christian Andersen, and I had I had been looking through the book, getting ready for last week, and then I <clears throat> there are a number of stories. Every once in a while, I've thought I could just do about five, six, seven weeks in a row of just re- reading these stories because his, his stories are so interesting and. I did point out last week on the, on the radio that people who want to buy a book for children should not buy, you know, a, a copy of uh, Anne's Christian Anderson's stories um, and hand it to a child. They should look at the book first and see if that would be appropriate for that child because um, uh, Anderson's stories sometimes are harsh. Um, and they're meant they were written to teach lessons and so sometimes um because of people like walt disney and and i guess others who do it they take stories that are kind of got out of a serious vein and fix them up so that they're okay for five and six year olds and nobody's gonna have to cry about and um some of the stories from hans christian anderson do not make you feel warm and fuzzy at the end. So <clears throat> this is a story and it's called the story of a mother. And it has to do with a mother's love and a mother's care and a mother's heart. A mother was sitting beside her little child. She was very sad, so afraid that he would die. He was very pale and his little eyes were closed. He was breathing faintly and once in a while he took a deep breath as if he were sighing. The mother would gaze even more sorrowfully at the little soul. Then there was a knock on the door and in came a poor old man wrapped in what looked like a big horse blanket because it was warm and that's what he he needed. It was a cold winter. 
Everything outside was covered with ice and snow, and the wind was blowing so hard that it stung your face. Since the old man was shaking with cold and a little child was sleeping for a moment, the mother went over to put a little pot of beer on the stove to warm it up for him. The old man sat and rocked while the mother sat down on a chair close by. She looked at her sick child who was breathing hard and lifted his little hand. You think I'll be allowed to keep him, don't you? She said. Surely our Lord wouldn't take him from me. And the old man, who was death himself, nodded so strangely. Could just as well mean yes or no. The mother looked down at her lap and the tears ran down her cheeks. Her head grew heavy. For three nights and days she hadn't closed her eyes and now she fell asleep, but only for a moment. Then she gave a start and shivered with cold. What's this, she said, and looked all around. But the old man was gone, and her little child was gone too. He had taken the child with him, and over in the corner, the old clock was whirring and whirring. The big lead weight plunged all the way down to the floor, and the clock stood still. But the poor mother ran out of the house, calling for her child. Outside in the midst of the snow, sat a woman wearing long black robes and she said death has been in your house i saw him rush off with your little child he moves faster than the wind and he never brings back what he takes just tell me where which way he went said the mother tell me which way and i'll find him i know which way said the woman in the black robes but before i tell you you have to sing for me all the songs you've ever sung for your child i'm fond of them i've heard them before I am the night. I saw your tears when you sang them. I'll sing them all, every one of them, said the mother, but don't stop me from reaching him, from finding my child. The night sat mute and motionless. Then the mother wrung her hands as she sang and wept, and there were many songs, but even more tears. And then the night said, go to the right into the dark pine forest. That's where I saw death headed with your little child. Deep inside the forest path, cross, and she knew, she no longer knew which way to go. That's where a hawthorn bush stood, that neither leaves nor flowers. It was cold winter time, and frost hung from the branches. Have you seen death go past with my little child? Oh, yes, said the bush, but I want to tell you which way he went unless you first warm me up with your heart. I'm freezing. And becoming nothing but ice. And so the woman pressed the hawthorn bush tightly to her breast so it'd warm up properly. The thorns went right into her flesh and her blood flowed in big drops. But the hawthorn bush shot out fresh green leaves and flowers appeared on it in the cold winter night. So warm did it feel at the heart of a sorrowful mother. And the hawthorn bush told her which way she should go. Then she came to a great lake where there were neither ships nor boats. The lake was not frozen enough to bear her or open and shallow enough for her to be able to wade through. Yet she had to cross it if she wanted to find her child. So she lay down to drink all the water from the lake, although of course this was impossible for a human to do. But the sorrowful mother thought that even so, maybe a miracle would occur. No, it will never work, said the lake. Why don't the two of us come to an agreement instead? I'm fond of collecting pearls, and your eyes are the clearest ones I've ever seen. If you will cry them out for me, then I will carry you across to the great hot house where death lives, tending the flowers and the trees. Each of them is a human life. Oh, I would give anything to reach my child, said the weeping mother. She cried even harder. Her eyes sank to the bottom of the lake and turned into two precious pearls. Then the lake lifted her up as if she were sitting on a swing and she flew in a great arc to the shore on the other side where a strange house stood stretching for miles. It was impossible to tell whether it was a mountain with forests and caves or whether it had been hammered together. Though the poor mother couldn't see it because she had cried her eyes out. Where can I find death who took my little child, she said. He hasn't arrived yet, said the old woman who tended the graves and was supposed to take care of death's great hot house. How did you manage to find your way here? And who helped you? 
Our Lord helped me, she said. He is merciful, and you will be too. Where can I find my little child? Well, I don't know your child, said the woman. You can't see. Many flowers and trees have withered in the night. Death will soon come to replant them. I suppose you know that everyone has his tree or flower of life, depending on what kind of person he is. They look just like other plants, but they have hearts that beat. A child heart, a child's heart beats too. Listen for it. Maybe you can recognize your child's. But what will you give me if I tell you what else you have to do? I have nothing to give, said the sorrowful mother. But I will go to the ends of the earth for you. There's nothing there that I want, said the woman. But you can give me your long black hair. I'm sure you know how beautiful it is. And it's to my liking. I will give you my white hair in return. At least that's something. Is that all you ask, she said? I will gladly give you my hair. She gave away her beautiful hair and received the old woman's snow white hair in return. Then they went into Death's great hothouse, where flowers and trees grew in wondrous profusion. There were delicate hyacinths under glass bells and big, hardy peonies. Water plants grew there, some quite healthy, others sickly. Water snakes rested on them and black crabs were clamped onto their stalks. There were lovely palms, oaks and plain trees, parsley and flowering thyme. Each tree and each flower had its own name. Each was a humble life. The person was still in alive, one in China, one in Greenland, all around the world. There were big trees and small pots making them look so miserable and ready to burst the pots. And in many places, dreary little flowers stood in rich soil with moss all around, coddled and well-tended. The sorrowful mother bent over all the smallest plants and listened to the human hearts beating inside them. And among the millions, she recognized her child's. Here it is, she cried, and stretched her hand over a little blue crocus drooping wretchedly to one side. Don't touch the flower, said the old woman. Stand over here, and when death arrives, I'm expecting him any minute. Don't let him pull up the plant. If you threaten to do the same with other flowers, then he'll be frightened. He has to answer to our Lord for them. None can be pulled up until he gives permission. All of a sudden, a nice cold wind rushed through the hall. The blind mother could tell that death had arrived. How did you find your way here? How could you get here faster than I did? I'm a mother, she said. And death stretched out his long hands toward the delicate little flower. But she cupped her hands firmly around it, very tightly, and yet afraid that she might touch one of its petals. And then death blew on her hands. And they felt colder than the cold wind, and her hands fell weakly away. There's nothing you can do to me, said Death. But our Lord can, she said. I merely do his will, said Death. I am his gardener. I take all his flowers and trees and plant them in the great garden of paradise in the unknown land. But how well they thrive or what the, it's like there, I can't tell you. Give me my child back, said the mother, and she wept and pleaded. Suddenly, she grabbed hold of two beautiful flowers nearby, one in each hand, and shouted at death, I'll tear up all your flowers because I'm in such despair. Don't touch them, said death. You say you're unhappy, and now you want to make another mother just as unhappy? Another mother, said the poor woman, and let go of both flowers at once. Here are your eyes, said death. I fished them out of the lake. They were shining so brightly. I didn't know they were yours. Take them back. They're even clearer than before. Then look down into this deep well right here. I'll tell you the names of the two flowers you wanted to tear up, and you'll see their whole future, their entire human life. You'll see what you wanted to disturb and destroy. The woman looked down into the well, and it was her 
sheer bliss to see how one of them became a blessing for the world, to see how much joy and happiness was spread all around by the life. And she looked at the other life, and it was sorrow and suffering, horror and misery. And death said, both are God's will. Which of them is the flower of unhappiness, and which is the blessed one? She asked. I won't tell you, said Death, but I will tell you this. One flower belongs to your own child. It was your child's fate that you saw, your own child's fate. Then the mother screamed in terror, which one of them is my child? Tell me. Save the innocent one. Save my child from all that misery. Better to take him away. Take him to God's kingdom. Forget my tears. Forget my pleas and everything I've said and done. I don't understand you, said Death. Do you want your child back, or should I take him inside to to the place that you cannot know? Then the mother wrung her hands, fell to her knees, and prayed to our Lord. Don't listen when I plead against your will, for your will is best. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. She bowed her head to her lap, and Death took her child into the unknown land. Story of a Mother by Hans Christian Andersen. I can't hear you, Fanny. I said, whoa. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, that's Mr. Anderson. So yes. if you bought that, if you bought his book and you read that to a five-year-old, I think you would have a five-year-old in crisis. <laughs> Because you have to think about that story. Yeah. And his story is so often, you know, I, I think you could probably take maybe three of his stories and write a doctoral thesis about them. Oh, I'm sure were. people have done that. Yeah. yeah. You have to really analyze the things, you know. I, I've read that story a number of times before. I've never told it in a performance. Um, and, and, and I think each time I've read it, I understand it more and more. Hans Christian Andersen was such an interesting person. Um, he was not what you would call a saintly man. He had lots of foibles, did lots of strange things in his life, had lots of strange relationships. Um, but he was a religious man. And, and he was a thoughtful man when, when writing. And he cared about children very much. Um, so he was a very complicated person, much like many of us here <laughs> in this time. Uh, there are no real simple persons, you know. And as I get older, I realize that all the all the people I regarded as, oh, boy, wonderful, you know, person, adventurous and kind and inspiring to me as I was young, as I've gotten older and older and older, I keep thinking, I'm just going to stick with my dad. I, I know him. <laughs> he did. He did a lot of good things. He wasn't perfect, but he was a good man. He's my, he's my guy to look up to, because so many of the people I looked up to as a young person, as I grew older and learned more about their life, I found out that they were not who they professed to be, and in public, they were one thing, and they turned out to be just humans. Wow. <laughs> so we are so, surrounded by them. Just yes. <laughs> so and so I, I I found some some interest in that story because of the relationships in it. You know. Yeah. The devil claiming that he is just doing the Lord's work. Not the devil. Death. Death, I mean. Yeah. Slip of the tongue. <laughs> same similarity. number of same number of letters start with <laughs> the same first two. That'll get me every time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> huh. Well, it so is keep... amazing to me which stories we are attracted to and yes. that we spend the most time on. Uh, You're listening uh, to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour at enlightenradio.org, and I'm Fanny Crawford. And I'm Stasia Siolkowski. We need a time check, I think. Yeah, I have 23 minutes. Okay. That sounds good. 23 and a half. Oh, 23 and a half, 24. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. 
Okay, well, I'm gonna tell um, a story based on a story by Duncan Williamson is a Scotsman who lived Ooh. for many years in Argyle in the coastal West Highlands. And many of his tales, amazing, amazing stories come from his very early years, 1935 to 1943, according to this book I'm using, when he was a young person there in Argyle. And mm -hmm. Duncan Williamson committed to memory more than 3,000 stories, according to his biography. And then in the second half of his life, he married an American. Um, her name is Linda, and she helped him put some of these stories into print. And some of those stories came to me in a book called The Broonies, Silkies, and Fairies, Traveler's Tales of the Other World from 1985. So this is a story that I've um, condensed a bit because most of his of Duncan Williamson's stories are very long. Um, so so as not to alarm our listeners with a one hour story. <laughs> this is my version of Duncan Williamson's story. Many years ago, in this island off the west coast, there lived two brothers, Ian, the elder, and Angus, the younger, who had a small croft, a farm, a very small bit of land by the sea. They were well off because their parents, dead these many years, left them plenty of money. They had indeed everything they needed, the croft, a few cattle, a few sheep, and a few goats. Best of all, they had a small boat from which they fished round their small island. Anne, the elder, would take the boat out to fish every morning and again every evening and catch as much as he liked. It didn't take long, as there were plenty of fish for all. Anne, the elder, and Angus, the younger, got on well, but there was one thing between them that they did not have in common, and that was the seals that also lived there. Ian the Elder loved those beautiful, sleek and shiny, sensuous water animals. At the high point of the morning and again in the evening, whenever he thought he had enough for the time being, he would take fish out of his boat and fling them over the sides to feed the seals. Angus, the younger, did not like this habit at all. In fact, it upset Angus a great deal. Why do you feed these vermin? I hate these things, these seals. They're nothing but beggars and thieves, rats of the sea. But Ian said, well, they have to live like you and I, Angus. We're well off and we're only taking their food from them. A little bit that we didn't need, but feed them. But Angus was a funny kind of brother, a bit morose. Sometimes he got angry and his temper flared, displeased about everything and nothing pleased him. What he hated most in the world was seals and he hated them evermore. When Anne gave them fish, Angus would say, we could use those fish you've wasted on the seals. We could have sold them in the village. But Dan just said, oh, Angus, they have to live. <laughs> said Angus, that's your way, but it's not mine. But it never came to a quarrel between the two of them. Anne would walk along the beach at nighttime and spend all his time sitting on the rocks. The seals would come in around him and he wouldn't pay any attention to them. They were just his friends. But the minute Angus put his foot on the shore, there'd be a splash and the seals would be gone. The two brothers were quite happy. They enjoyed each other's company, though they didn't see eye to eye. One day, Anne took a load of fish to the village market. He met this beautiful lassie at the auction there, standing all alone. 
So after everybody had sold everything they had and Anne had sold his load of fish, the young woman was still standing there. Everybody else walked away, but she still was standing. So Ian walked up to her. He was a handsome young man, the most beautiful man you ever saw. Hello, he said. Are you buying or are you selling? Oh, no, she said. I'm not buying. I'm not selling. I'm just having a look to see how fish is getting passed, how much is getting sold and how much fish is coming in. Young Ian thought she was a student working for the government or some reason taking stock of all the fish that was sold on the island. No, she said, I'm just here to see what's going on and see how much fish has passed through the sale. He had a nice talk with her and invited her into a wee, wee alehouse for a drink. Certainly, I'll go with you. He asked her all the questions in the world about herself, but she told him, I'm an orphan. I've no father, no mother. I'm just on my own. And I wondered about a record of how much fish is sold, how much passes through the sale in the year. Ian said, well, why don't you come home with me to the croft and we'll have supper together. So she went back with him. It wasn't far from the pier. And when they arrived, Angus said, and hello, you're back, Ian, you're, you're back. Yes, he said, I'm back. I sold the load of fish and I got a good price, but I want you to meet this young woman I met at the sale room. Her name is Seda, and I met her at the market. She's here to check on the fish in the village. Now, Angus was very morose. He was the kind of person you could never get to know well. He said, and what's the matter with our fish? Is there something wrong? Are they not good enough or something? No, 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 she said after being introduced. No, Angus, that's not the problem at all. I'm just interested. I check up on the fish that the people catch. Well, we don't get enough, he said. We could get more if it wasn't for those damn seals who eat our fish and destroy our nets. These creatures who destroy our livelihood. But the young woman never said a word in answer to that. But after they'd had tea together, she said, I'll be off down to the rocks now. They, they tell me you've a fine colony of Seals them by your croft here on the island. Oh, we've several hundred seals, said Anne. And she said, but what do you think of them? Oh, there's nothing nicer in this world than watching seals at play and everything I can spare, though sometimes Angus is upset. I, I throw anything I don't need overboard for them. They have to live too, you know. Angus said, there you go again, feeding those animals which are no good to anybody. Young woman, I'll tell you the truth. I hate these things. They're destroying our livelihood. Seda said, well, they're sea creatures. Of course, they're sea creatures. But why don't they swim along the shore and catch their own fish? But Seda didn't argue. And Anne said, Come on then, I'll walk you to the rocks and show you the seals. Oh, look, I'll be off now. I'm all right. I'm sure you can find something else for yourself to do. So Ian said, okay. And the young woman started to walk away. But he had a notion in his head that he might love this young And he called after her. Where can I see you again? She said, you can find me if you want me. Where will I find you, he said. I'm only here for a short stay, but part of my time I'll be watching the seals on the rocks. If you want to find me, you'll find me there. She bade her goodbye and walked away to the rocks. And Ian the elder and Angus the younger had more words about the seals. And Angus said, the young woman Seda was an odd one. But Anne didn't want to argue and 
he went down to the sea and the rocks and found Satan. Sitting, basking in the sun, the seals were lying on their sides on the rocks and some were grunting and carrying on, doing all the things that seal people really do. So he walked down and sat beside Satan. And they talked for a long, long time. And Anne found himself in love. And he told her this and invited her back to the house once more. And in time, they fell in love with each other. They married. And Anne brought her back to the house to live with him and his brother Angus. Angus didn't humor her very much. He didn't think very much of her. But Anne loved her. And they lived very happily. Anne went fishing every day. Seda helped out on the croft and did everything under the sun that needed to be done. She tried to please Angus, but there was no way in the world she could. In the evening, when they sat down by the fireside, all Angus's talk was about the seals, how much he hated them, and how he hated the seal folk. But Anne and his wife really loved each other. And when they got fed up and bored with Angus's ranting, the two would move off to bed. One morning, Angus, the younger, was feeling not too well. And Anne said, I'll manage the boat and the nets myself, Angus, seeing you're not feeling well. So Seda kissed him farewell and wished him a good day. And Anne took the boat and rowed away to set his nets and do his fishing. Now Angus, he's lying upstairs in bed. So Seda busied herself round the kitchen, did everything that needed to be done, milked the goats and everything round the croft the best she could. She took Angus's dinner up to him in his bed, but he was bad-tempered, spoke harshly to her. He thought that his brother had a young wife and he had nothing. Possibly it was remorse that was bothering him more than anything else. But the day passed and Seda came out and she waited at the doorway. She waited and waited and the day passed, but Anne never came back. She went up and told Angus, Angus, Anne's not home yet. Now it was evening. Ah, well, he's probably out with his friends around the aisle. Whatever you do, don't worry about him. He's probably away feeding his friends in the island, his friends, the seals. But the night passed by and Anne never came back. The next day and the next evening, he never came back. A week passed. He never returned. By this time, Angus managed to get down on his feet. He was all right again. And Seda started to tell him about Anne disappearing in the sea. Angus, you'll have to go and notify the police. Tell the whole country that Anne is missing. We've got to get his body back and bury him somewhere. Oh, he's gone, Angus. He's lost in the sea. Probably his boat capsized and he's drowned. You'll never see him anymore. There was a weeping and wailing and she cried. She was vexed and she did everything. Angus never helped her very much, but Anne never returned. Angus bought another boat and she stayed on to keep house for him. Though the two of them couldn't see eye to eye, she did everything under the sun, but she could never manage to, to exchange a sensible word between them. And then one evening, she told him, Angus, I'm very sick. What's wrong with you? Are you worried about your husband? He's gone with his friends. It's all you need to worry about. He's, he's gone with his friends. Angus, you'll have to go for the doctor. Ugh, why am I to go for the doctor? Are you ill? Angus, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It on me. You're going to have a baby. Well, you'll just have to have a baby. It was an old bicycle he had. He cycled to the village and notified the doctor and the doctor came. Sure enough, Sadie, Sadie had a bonnie wee baby, a lassie. 
Many weeks had passed since the disappearance of Anne, and now there was a bonnie wee baby. A girl had been born, and Angus began to change. He treated them very, very nicely. He said, what, what are you going to call her, the baby, the wee baby girl? It was the first baby he'd ever seen in his life because he didn't have younger sisters and brothers, but the one brother was lost at sea. Well, Angus, I think I'll call her after myself, Seda. So they had reported to the authorities and they'd searched for Anne's body, but he never was found. And they found the boat, but they never got him. Well, we'll have to make arrangements, you know said Angus, because this croft and the land is between my brother and me, and now if you want to stay here with your wee baby daughter, half of this place, what my brother Ian owns, is yours, and I'm sure we'll try to get along together as best possible. Seda was very pleased about this. There's nothing else I can do. Where can I go? I've no place else to go, she said. Ian was my husband, and you are his brother. So they stayed in the croft and Angus went on doing the fishing. Seda took care of the croft and animals. She milked the goats, took care of the cow, looked after the croft the best she could. And naturally, we Bonnie Seda grew up to be the bonniest lassie in the world. And when she started toddling around the croft, old Angus, the brother, who would be getting a wee bit old by this time, just loved her like nothing in this world. There was nothing he loved better than his wee niece. He cuddled her, kissed her, took her with him every place he went, took her sailing in the boat, taught her about the seals, taught her how to hate the seals and how the seals had destroyed her father. But Seda didn't worry about that. She said, okay, that's okay, because she knew her uncle loved her. But one night, after young Seda had grown up to be about six years old, she sat on the chair next to Uncle Angus. Her mother said, I want to take a walk. I'll see us in a, in a bit, in a while. And Angus said to his niece, Come to your uncle, Angus. Your mommy's gone for a walk and I'll tell you a wee story. And so he told her a wee story and she fell asleep in his lap and he carried her up to bed. Waited and he waited, 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 but her mother never came back. She just disappeared completely. And next morning, young Seda was crying for her mother. Your mommy's gone, he said. He walked down to the village, took Seda with him, reported her mother's disappearance to the police. They searched the shoreside, searched the village everywhere, but Seda was gone. They couldn't find a trace of her. She was gone forever, and Angus shook his fist at the shoreside. It's these people, these seal folk, they've taken her away. They stole everything I loved in this world. They take my fish. They took my brother and took my little girl's mother. I'll have revenge on these people in my own time, in my own way. Now, young Seda was left with her uncle Angus in this croft on her own. Well, there was nothing else for him to do. She was six years old. He reared her up. Another six years passed, and now she was 12. But Seda, when she had nothing else to do, would spend her time on the beach, sitting on the rocks, swimming out from the shore. The seals were her friends and she spent all her time with them. And Angus began to tell her about these people. So, See that they took your mother, they took your father. Don't let them take you. Uncle Angus, they never took my father. Well, where's their bodies? Where have they gone? Your dad's disappeared. Your daddy loved these people and your man loved these people. And you'll love them. But Seda, don't join these people because if you do, you'll be gone forever and they'll never return. Uncle Angus, there's nothing to do with them. They're lovely. The seals love their life. I love their life. They're free and they swim in the sea. Well, they swim in the sea and they steal my fish in my nets. Seda swam 
with the seals and she talked to them and the more time she spent on the beach, the more Angus got worried. And one night he went on a drinking spree at the ale house. And when he came home, the house was dark. He searched for Seda. Finally, down to the beach, and there she was, sitting, surrounded all around her by seals. He rushed down to the sh shore, and he dragged her back to the house. Seda, I love you more than anything in this world, but you'll never join these seal people. And he took carving knife. Now you'll never join these people. My father and my grandmother told me a long time ago there's only one way to stop a human from joining the seal people. When you chop off the points of their fingers and you chop off the points of their toes and I will do the same to you. Seda screamed and she shouted and she cried but he held her fast in his drunken stupor and chopped off the points of her toes and he chopped off the points of her fingers. Now, he said, you'll never join these people and go on away from me. And then he left her. And she never said a word. She never cried. She lay in her bed and suffered for two weeks in agony. And Angus came up and he coaxed her to have food, coaxed her to come down after he'd come to his senses, but no way would she speak to him. She wouldn't talk to him. Seda lay in pain and agony for weeks, never ate, never spoke. But finally, it came a time when Angus had to go out on the sea to fish. As much as he loved Seda, he had his duty to perform and go for fish. And he rowed out in the boat in the middle of the sea and cast his net. The day was calm and beautiful. The sun was shining. Now, he said, I'll have a good fishing today. And he took the oars in his hands and he rowed the boat forward. But all of a sudden, he was surrounded by a hundred seals. They came from all parts. They came round the bow of the boat and they came behind the boat and they came by the sides and they caused such a disturbance around the boat, it capsized. And the seals, dozens of them, old ones and young ones, big ones and wee ones, capsized the boat and Angus fell into the water. He tried to swim to the boat and up came the seals. They attacked him, snapped the points of his fingers and snapped off the points of his toes. He tried to get away, but he was attacked from all angles. Every single seal snapped at his fingers and at his toes. He swam as best he could. And when he reached the beach, he looked at his hands bleeding. His fingers were almost gone and his toes were almost gone. He climbed slowly up onto the beach and lay for a long, long time, his hands and feet bleeding. He crawled on his hands and knees to the croft in a terrible state. But he survived. The seals didn't want to kill him, just teach him a lesson. And when he landed in the house, he called, Seda, Seda, come and help me. Please help me. I've lost my fingers. I've lost my toes. Please, Seda, help me. But the house was empty. There was not a soul there, not a soul. He searched. He walked, even though his feet were bleeding and his hands, he searched but Seda was gone. So for days he lay in agony and pain with his fingers and his toes, cursing the seals. They did this to me. They'll never do it again. They took my brother. They took my sister-in-law. They took my child that I loved, even though I did such a terrible thing to her when I was drunk. But they'll never do this to me again. And after he came to himself and got himself healed up a bit, he said, I'm leaving. 
Nevermore will I return to this place. So with his hands bandaged and his feet fixed as best he could, he closed the door of the cottage, taking his belongings as much as he could carry. He left, shaking his fist at the sea. I'll never return. You can have it, Anne. You can have it, Seda. You can have everything I own, but never again will you have the company of me. And he walked away, he left the croft and everything behind him. He walked to the village, got attention for his hands and feet, and he had enough money to keep him forevermore. I'm gone off and find myself a place in a glen far from the sea, far from the seals, where people do not know what a seal is. And he was gone. And weeks later, when the cottage on the shore side was dark and the sun had set, Three seals came swimming toward the croft, a big bull seal, a female seal, and a half-grown seal swam toward the beach. They looked at the cottage, and the cottage was dark. One turned to the other, and they nodded, and they said, this is it. But the funny thing was, the young, half-grown female seal, half her flippers were gone. Half her tail flipper and her front flippers were cut across. And they swam into the beach and looked at the dark cottage. The boat was pulled up and the nets were hung up to dry. And the three of them came up on the beach and looked all around. And then they turned and swam away. And they were gone forever. And the cottage remained waste. The croft remained empty for a very long time till someone came along and bought it, but they never realized the story behind the cot and what had happened in that cottage. And that is the last of that story. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I call I that hearts open and shut. <laughs> um, that's from a book, The Brunies, Silkies, and Fairies, Traveler's Tales of the Other World, taken based on stories by Duncan Williamson. And where's the Duncan Williams from? Scotland. I thought so, because I could hear you brogue. <laughs> I, I'm My not fake kidding. Brogue. Yes, he's yeah, from, well, from Argyle, the, yeah. west, the west coast of Argyle. The, the Where Western is it? That name is, is uh, shockingly familiar. There's a brand new um, series coming on uh, television on some, uh, uh, I think maybe on Prime Video or Netflix or something. And, and, and the title of it is, uh, I'm sure, is Argyle. I saw it during the football game yesterday. And um, it, it, it looked kind of strange. <laughs> So I doubt if it has anything to do with that story, but uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, there may yeah. be still peace in the story. In that's the a boy. That's a pretty harsh story. It is a harsh story. It has, that could have been right in Christensen's um, Anderson's <laughs> book. You know, I think it's interesting that 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 people write stories like that, and, and I'm sure there's a message in it. There was a couple of messages in that one that I got, but uh, I wonder why sometimes it has to be so harsh. Well, um, Duncan Williamson says he never in his life created a story that all of his stories were passed on to him. All 3,000 of those stories that he memorized yeah. are all traditional well, Scott stories. I, yeah, and I, they I, are brutal. I can believe that because, you know, Recently, my wife and I were talking, and, and, and you know, I said I, I don't know where it came from, but all my life I've never had a problem with my imagination. All I need is the, the tiniest thing, and, and my mind just goes running away with it. And um, I, and I've felt like that, you know, I, I've gotten that habit of being called the, the all day talker. <laughs> so um and and part of it is because of that i you know i've never been um any place where i was lost for words un unless i was shocked by something 
horrible I've noticed dramatic. that. I bet. I just, you know. And, well, I do and have to I'm, take a... Go ahead. Go well, I was going to say, I'm glad I, I was like that because I was a teacher for 40 years. <laughs> and I don't think you could last for 40 years without doing some talking. That's right. <laughs> well, I just wanted to take a few of the few minutes we have left yes. to talk about event story events coming up. So February 9th, um, the Black Storytellers of Western Maryland, of which I am a member, will be telling stories for children and adults at the Hagerstown Library, the Fletcher Main Library in downtown Hagerstown at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's part of their regular story series for children. There will be four of us. Myself. Is that a Friday? No, that's a... Oh, it is a Friday. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was just, I thought it was. Okay. Um, so the tellers are uh, Lola Mosby and Janice Kelsch, uh, Hagerstown natives, and they'll be telling Hagerstown stories for kids. And uh, Patricia Smart, who now lives in Hagerstown and has worked uh, in Washington County for a long time, and me, Fanny Crawford. And I hope people turnout hope we have a good good crowd and then on uh february 17th i'll be telling stories for the Amer uh, association of american university women aauw also at the library and that's at two o'clock in the afternoon and i can give anybody who needs it more information um if they email me at fanitsky, F-A-N-I-T-S-K-Y at hotmail.com or call 301-730-1638. And then the most exciting event of the coming season is the National Women's Storytelling Festival, which will be both on Zoom and live in Fairfax, Virginia. And I will be telling as part of the opening evening on March uh, Friday, March 14th, and then again on Sunday morning. I have an hour slot on Sunday morning. And hope everybody is able to come. If you Google better said than done, uh, Jessica Piscatelli Robinson is the, um, the person in charge, the person who invented all of this National Women's Storytelling Festival. This is the fourth year, and I'm excited to be part of it again and looking forward to seeing all my friends there. The um, early bird tickets are on sale until February 15th, so you can get a good deal if you buy tickets either for part of the time or for the whole weekend, um, either on Zoom or in person. And that date is March 14th? Um, it's... I think that something's happening Thursday evening, but it really begins on Friday. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, because I, you had said it was, never mind. I think I, I said the 14th through the 17th, but you know me. Yeah. Well, I think the 14th is on a Thursday. Yes, but I think I, yeah. I'm not sure what is happening on Thursday. I know I'm okay. telling on Friday, okay. Friday for the opening. All right, the big opening. There may be other right. things happening on Thursday. Well, that's that's exciting. I'm excited. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it is exciting, and I look I forward think... to my. I can but... look forward to my next storytelling because it'll be next Monday. All right, here. And do we, and we'll probably have a theme pretty soon. I think it's going to be something to do with hearts. I think that's a good Maybe idea. In February. I think so. Okay, um, I'm going to end the show if that's okay. Yeah, I think we're out I, of time. I think it's time. Yeah, we've we've been going for um, about fifty eight minutes now. All right, this is Fanny Crawford. And Stasi Okowski. Your co-hosts for the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour at enlightenradio.org.
Org, independent community radio broadcasting from Bolivar, West Virginia, Martinsburg, West Virginia, and Hagerstown, Maryland, offering our listeners a window into the world of telling by traditional and non-traditional storytellers, encouraging you, our listening community, to share, preserve, and expand all of our stories. Thank you for listening so patiently, and stay tuned for John Case and... Um, well, a lot of roots music today. Um, okay. You know, I, I, I lump everything into roots now. Um, apparently, the stuff I like is too old to be anything else. So, um, <laughs> and just, you know, I, I, I've been told that. So, <clears throat> it's probably true. Anyway, uh, but at, just a note that the uh, uh, at 5 o'clock on, uh, excuse me, no, at 7 o'clock on uh, weekdays, uh, recordings of the storytelling hour take place uh, from um, basically seven to eight. And then from eight to nine, there's uh, one uh, or more of the other shows that play regularly uh, um, during that per period of time. All right. So, and I, it's, it's a little bit random. Um, um, it's real, what actually plays is one of the most recent four shows. That's actually what plays because it plays every day and I don't want it to play the same thing every day. So um, just so you know, that's the way it, mm -hmm. so it's not, sure. it's, it's not clear what the random <laughs> general will order. <laughs> so, anyway. I thought both yeah, of those stories were pretty cool. That. You know, they were like uh, what goes around comes around stories, but uh, um, they were good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Fanny, can we talk for a minute before, before